continues. It's the State of Combat Podcast on CBS Sports with me, Brian Campbell, and it is coming back at you with a bang. Mixed Martial Arts UFC 239 week. Wow! The syringe is runneth over, folks. Ready for injection with another lethal dose of that performance-enhancing audio. And boy, do we have a loaded show for you today. A little bit of a surprise. Our in-depth, detailed UFC 239 preview that will close this show will also be available in video format on YouTube so you can see your favorite hosts, their mugs up close and personal And we got a big-time interview for you folks today. UFC's champ champ, the greatest of all time on the women's side, Amanda Nunez, breaking down the Holly Holm fight this Saturday, breaking down what goals she has left in her already incredible career. Looking back, of course, in the week that was with my two co-hosts, time to do it. A pot, of course, as always, that is guaranteed to leave you impressed. I'm not impressed by your performance. If you are impressed, by the way, folks, you got to hit us up with that five-star review. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you consume fine audio. All right, let me bring in my co-host, Face the Pain. He's number 65 in your scorebooks, number one in your heart, former class double 4A all-state left tackle for Boca High. It's CBS Sports writer and editor Brandon Wise. What's up, BC? Fired up, bro. All right? Fire the heck up. And let's not bury the lead. In fact, you should just sit down. Let's bring in the Hall of Famer himself. Always sweet. Never sour. Once knocked out Forrest Griffin for the UFC 205-pound title. Once called John Jones a bitch to his face. His name is Sugar Rashad Evans, the future Hall of Famer. What's up? <laughs> I like my credibility for being tough. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. You're going to do what I want you to do, and that's just the bottom line. That is the bottom line. Rashad, going into the hall this week, we are so damn fired up for you. Uh, all the Evanses, I assume, will be there. I mean, this is, this is, I mean, I don't want to make you cry, Rashad, but oh. this is why you first put on them wrestling boots back in the day, right? It is, it is. It, it's just a combination of everything just coming together, you know, and, um, you know, all the people that supported me and, and believed in me, you know, uh, when, when I was just a little, you know, a little run, running around causing trouble and, um, they, they, they stuck by me and they believed in me. So it's a big moment, man. I just hope I just can get on stage and do my speech without having too much of an ugly crying face. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And uh, be wise. I don't want to bury the lead on your life, bro, because it's a big deal. We cover these sports. Vegas, the fight capital of the world. You will be on the grounds with me at UFC 239 this weekend, along with Rashad. And this is your first trip to Sin City. How many of the deadly sins do you plan on uh uh, fulfilling in this trip, <laughs> if you will. I don't. I don't think you said any of that right. But um, <laughs> probably two, if I can count. Maybe gluttony the... and gambling, at least. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Yep. All righty then. All right. Well, guys, we're obviously fired up for two thirty nine, and we will get into all of that. But I also want to break down this week. And Rashad, you were in Minnesota for UFC Fight Night. They stole a heavyweight fight from next week's card and put it in the main event. And wow, did it deliver in its own way. We're going to break down all things Francis Ngannou, Junior Dos Santos, right after we hear a word from our friends and sponsors. 
MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount+. Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. And it all takes place while you're filling out financial reports at work, in the middle of your day, in the middle of your week. So use that second screen, call in sick, do whatever you got to do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount+. And we're back. All right, Rashad, this past weekend heavyweight main event in Minneapolis, Francis Ngannou. Junior Dos Santos, the former champion, more or less. Look, Dana White would not commit before. He will not commit after. But more or less a number one contender's bout. And good Lord, the tour de force for Frankie Ngannou continues. 71 seconds sending JDS to hell. Um, At this point, we got to take him monstrously seriously again as a heavyweight championship contender, true or false? True, 100%. And I think mainly because we always knew he had the power. But now we're starting to see the full set of skills coming around. And then with that, the understanding. And that's one thing that we felt, I felt was missing in his game when I seen him that made him so green was the fact that I didn't think that he, um, he, he was, he was seasoned enough or understood what he needed to do inside that cage as far as when it comes to getting taken down on the ground or how to move his hips when he's stuck on the ground. But I got a chance to watch him. Do jujitsu, do jujitsu on Thursday when I got in, and I was so impressed because not only is this guy, you know, getting in great positions, but his transitions—he's doing transitions that you see guys way smaller than him do, and and knowing how to hit them and just moving the right way. And it was just something that um, caught me off caught me off guard because I watched him roll around before, and the the level that he was rolling around when I just seen him versus before it was night and day difference. And that let me know that this guy has got, he, he's a sponge. And when you have a guy that powerful and just, and just has that much of a um, ability with his physical uh, characteristics, then you look at the fact that he has a mental fortitude on top of it. You're looking at a, a dangerous, dangerous, scary guy. Yeah. He, he's a, he's a BMF at this point. He's a, he's a bad mofo. I mean, when it took him what Brandon, like 22 seconds to get rid of Curtis blades in the rematch, a very credible contender. Then he blows away Kane Velasquez in almost record time. And now JDS who told us on this show and look, we love ourselves from junior dos Santos. He told himself on this show. I am truth. I live by truth. Everything I do is truth. I'm sorry, JDS. I got to tell you the truth, man. You made a crucial mistake that led to the removal of your soul. Brandon, that was as surprising as anything. When was the last time you saw that? Yeah, I mean, I was just kind of like excited for that fight. I We see the first couple of minutes, seconds go by. Francis lands a nice leg kick where you're just kind of like, okay, we're going to see that kind of fight. And then JDS does the same thing. Tripped that actually like, took Francis off his feet for a minute. And you're like, whoa, that's different. We don't normally see that kind of power. And he caught him with a hook on the way down too. So it was kind of like, 
all right, this is not going to last much longer than that. But like like BC said, he made that critical mistake where it's just like you can't get caught going in on on Francis. You can't do that yeah. because Francis has the power to finish a fight no matter where he is. And like Rashad was saying before, we like to forget about this when when Francis first came into the picture when he had the cornrows going and yeah. he was a wrestler. He used to just go in there and just take people down and, and submit them because he was just that raw and that's all he knew. Now he's figured out. Oh, I have power. <laughs> I can just knock fools out when I want to. I really hope that it's not one of those situations where he falls in love with it too much. Like you've said before about about fighters who they start to see the people fall in front of them and then they just that's all they do. I really hope he keeps this full game that he's got going because he does not need to fight anybody else besides Daniel Cormier, Stipe Miocic, or John Jones. Like I don't need to see him anymore against these big these other heavyweights because he's just going to obliterate them. Yeah, and I think it's you look back now, and it's been a weird run in this case for Ngannou because he came on the scene and he got fast tracked. Dana calling him the Mike Tyson of MMA. He got a big head. He gets exposed by Stipe Miocic. He fights one of the worst strategic performances against Derek Lewis, and then suddenly he's like a hot piece of trash, and Dana's crapping all over him. But he bounced back mentally from that in big ways. And while he is adding certain craft to his game, and that's key, guys, I think he's also just come to terms with, I do this one thing more violently than anybody else in the sport. I mean, revisit my knockout of Overeem if you want to see a, a, a just a sick KO. I think it's like I play this one hit, and I'm just going to play this one hit better than anybody else can, and I will be in a fight against anybody. And look, DC Stipe winner, like you mentioned, unless John Jones is going to crack that party and jump in, it's got to be Ngannou next. So Rashad, great win. But I'm not done talking about that JDS crucial mistake. Technically, what the hell happened? When no one ever does that overcommit on a punch and turn your back on, on Ngannou, what happened? You know what? He, he he threw the punch and he was like, ooh, I, I'm not close enough. And, and then he got caught with something. But here's the thing about it. And Gano's reaches is, is, is so long is he probably thought that he would have got out of it. And, and for most for the most heavyweights, he probably would have been able to escape it, you know, or not get touched by anything. But then you have somebody with 84 inch reach and, and, and you've seen it, you know, his fish is wrapped around his face and hit him on the other side. That's how long his arms are. But I mean, you know, with with a guy like Francis and I, and I knew JDS was in trouble uh, when I heard him speak. And he said that he didn't feel that he needed to uh, use his his well-rounded MMA game. And here's my thing about it. This is a fight. And in a fight, you got to bring all the tools that you have. And if you have more tools than the other guy, that means you have more weapons to use against the other guy. So there's no reason why you shouldn't use those weapons against the other guy. And he left a few uh, tools in, in, in the shed. And I think he should have came out there. And had a different kind of orientation, a different kind of understanding of what he needed to do to win this fight. And the first thing he needs to do to win this fight is you if somebody's a power puncher, remember this when I tell you, you have to take steam off their arms. How do you take steam off their punches? You make them wrestle. You make ah. them work. You put them against the cage. Now listen, he may not have got them to the ground, but with one punch, he may have could have got them with a clinch situation, a wall and brawl. Those are very effective heavyweight positions because he's not wasting a lot of energy, but he's making the guy who's not used to having that grappling uh, facility do.
do something that he's not used to doing as a big puncher. Then you get him back out to the center of the octagon and then you can strike with him all day because you're not dealing with that same punching power. Yeah, very, that's what I thought the game plan should have been. Very, very well said. And and you had brought that up when we had Junior on the show, and we played that sound. That was your first reaction of, uh, you know, why am I, why is he so willing to bang with this guy? You know, you didn't know if he was going to run the okie doke on you and, and fool him. No, he came out kind of looking to do that. And you make one mistake against Nganu, and it's over. And guys, I always love about MMA that, like, in some ways, losses don't matter as much. Certainly compared to boxing, where People are in love with the unbeaten record and in one loss, whether you fought hard or not, people try to make the case that you're exposed. There's more forgiveness in MMA. Yet, when Nganu did go to that title level and got that rocket strap on his back, and then the way he fought against Stipe, I personally believed he would never be the same, would never be back to that same level of of looking invincible, of looking like the bully, of looking... And, and look, this speaks to this man's mental toughness, but I almost feel like he's completely repaired from that moment where it's almost as if it didn't happen. And now suddenly I got, and this is the, the, the value of UFC going to ESPN. I've got casual fan friends texting me going, hey, bro, you know a lot about this Nganu guy? He reminds me of Tyson. This guy's great. I feel like he can knock anybody out. And my MMA hardcore fan response is, yeah, well, we already been down this road, bro. Go watch the Stipe fight. <laughs> but then again, I stopped myself and I'm like, wait. He may, we may be back on the train of this guy is MMA's Tyson. Like he may have repaired that hole in the past and it's almost as if it never happened. Yeah, I think he definitely repaired it. And, and he spoke about that at length, you know, when him and I sat down personally and talked and he talked about the fact that he had to go through that. And it was one of the hardest points of his life because, you know, he didn't understand for the most part of even how to be a professional athlete. He's never was an athlete before at all. And then you're thrown into a position where you have everybody doing everything for you, telling you that you're the best thing in the world when you when when before that, you know, you you were you were homeless. You know what I'm saying? So you you bring him in two different drastic situations and it's so hard for him to it was so hard for him to i guess get a real parameter on how he should act in that situation it took him losing and going through that and seeing people lose favor with him to see what was real and now that he's seen what is real he made the adjustments and he did one thing that i really commend him on he said i made it fun again and that's one thing that you don't see a lot of athletes do. They forget about that aspect because once that money starts coming in, then the financial aspect just burdens the rest of the whole the, the whole career for the well, most part. Beating but that he said, ass is fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When he when he said, "Hey, I, I made it fun again." That was amazing. I whooped that ass. Yes, you did. Thank you, Rampage. He did that well. I mean, I don't want to get all weird and Jake Hager on you guys, but after watching that fight, you know what? I'm rock hard right now with emotion. Yes. I got a phoner. I got a phoner to see this guy against either DC or Stipe, whoever comes out with that title at UFC 241. Please, Uncle Dana, do nothing but give Nganu the title shot. Brandon, we're going to see it? We're going to see it? So the only problem with that is that Dana, even after the fight, was downplaying it. He was saying, well, we have to see what happens in that fight first. We don't even know if... If DC's going to fight again if he wins or if what Stipe's health's going to be like. So we can't book fights now. And it's like, okay, dude, just but just tell us he's next for the all right, Well, let's 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 look. Let's read through the lines here. Let's let's play. What is Dana really saying? All right. I'll give you three options, Brandon. and You can decide. <laughs> is Dana really saying I still hate Francis Ngannou, so I'm not going to promise him this because remember when I called him all those bad names. That's a B is Dana saying, hey, hold on. 
if Stipe wins this DC fight and it's a classic, we're cashing in on a trilogy. Or C, is Dana saying, John Jones is going to make his heavyweight debut and fight for, for the championship in his first fight against Stipe Miocic if Stipe wins? I think he'd be saying all three of those, to be honest, because it, it, when, when, you're, when you're a promoter, you have to be able to have all three of those options open. And I think they bit themselves in the backside so many times by promising fighters things. And I think that's why they're, they're not doing it now or they're slow to do it now, unless it's something for sure that they're going to be able to follow through with. But as you said, all of those options are so extremely appealing. And I, I, I didn't even think of some of them. You know what I'm saying? So they're, they're really appealing options. But what would you do then with Francis? Because let's say in a hypothetical world, Stipe beats DC and DC says he's going to delay his retirement again and he's going to do a trilogy fight with Stipe or with John Jones. What do you do with Francis at this point? Because like I said before, I don't need to see Francis against these other heavyweights right now. Every, he's beaten just about everybody in the top five already besides the champion and the top number one contender. I would say you just make that legend grow. I mean, at the end of the day, he in his last couple fights, he's been in there you know what, less than two minutes or two minutes exactly. So you're not going to you're not going to put him in a position where he gets damaged or he gets hurt because, I mean, his fights are lasting seconds. So only thing you can do is, all right, we, we, we got, you know, we have a blockbuster with with one of those great options that you have said, BC, or, you know, we can we can, uh, you know, have him fight France or we can have Francis you know, go and knock out one of these other heavyweights and continue to build that legacy and continue to build that, oh, my God, the scariest man on the planet like he was before he fought Steve the first Too time. Too bad there wasn't some, like, celebrity fighter that could be a <laughs> stay busy and look really good against and sell a lot of money. I'm a white boy, and I'm jacked. Deal with it. That would be interesting, right? Right? I mean, matchmaking-wise, if you were like, hey, Francis, you're going to get a title shot, but we got to do – DC Jones three at heavyweight, so we you gotta wait a while. I'll call Brock because Brock don't deserve a title shot. But could you spin the UFC machine and make people believe that, believe that Brock could take Francis Ngannou down for three rounds in a row and, and win that fight? One thousand percent. Because guess what, Brock might be able to. I mean, let's 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 not let's not. That's like the perfect style matchup, right? I, that's what I'm saying. Let's not sleep on Brock. You can say whatever you want to say about Brock, but listen, that dude is a wrestler for real, and he can take people down. For real. And he's hard to get off on top. For real. So that those are all areas where you've never seen Francis in somebody that big being able to take him down and hold him. I mean, well, okay, as of late. <laughs> as of late, I would say. What else you want me to say? I mean, uh, uh, Merry Christmas to Brock Lesnar. Merry Christmas to us fans if we got there, Brandon. But that's just fantasy matchmaking. Hey, let's get this guy in Ganu a title shot. Speaking of title shot, guys, this co-main event this past Saturday in Minneapolis was a flyweight bout, and it was Joseph Benavides, the guy I told you was already deserving of a flyweight title shot against Henry Cejudo. Hey, Dana, if you're going to get rid of this division, A, make a decision, and B, the final fight in that division would have been a great rematch between Benavidez and Cejudo, considering Benavidez won. Well, what does Jiu-Jitsu do? He comes out and takes Juicy A Formiga's soul in a second-round TKO. Now i got to ask you guys, what do you do now? Do you give Benavidez the Bantamweight title shot? Do you get rid of the flyweights? What happens next? I think Cejudo has to come back and fight at 125. I think that's the fair thing to do because here's the thing. These 125-pounders, they fought, and they've shown why they should stay around. I mean, since they've been on a chopping block, I've seen some of the best flyweight fights that I've 
that I've ever seen in the UFC, apart from Demetrius Johnson and what he's been able to do. But, I mean, you know, they're showing that they can fight. They're showing that they have, you know, a, a reason to be part of the memories and the hearts of these fans. So I think that, you know, at the end of the day, you have to give him the chance to beat Henry or fight Henry Cejudo because he already beat him before, you know, and, and then you have that whole aspect. It's, it's, it's exciting. And here's the thing that I liked about Benavides. You rarely see that kind of emotion out of him. He's normally just an even keeled guy. But this past week and, and even and even his past fight before this, he was starting to show a different sign. You're starting to see more of this this character coming out. You're starting to see this this, this character of, you know, he, he's tired of being put on the back burner. And and I like this guy because he goes out and he fights with an attitude. And what he did to, to Formiga, I was so impressed because I thought, if anything, it was going to be a split decision. Brando, put, put, yes. give, give him the shot, man. Give him the damn shot. Talk me out of this, please. Yeah. I mean, it's just – I feel like we're going to sit here and talk about this in like four months and we're gonna they're going to have the announcement, yeah, we're not doing flyweight anymore. Like I just feel I, – I just feel like it's coming because we're getting so excited about it. And Rashad, as he said, it would be fair to give him the shot against Zahudo. Well, when was the last time UFC did things because they were the right thing to do or they were the fair <laughs> thing to do? I just don't see it, man. Like, I loved watching JoJo fight. That fight was awesome. He was fighting recklessly. Like, he was leaving himself so exposed to, for Formiga to just counter shot. And he caught him, by the way. They, they covered up that cut pretty well between rounds. But that first yeah. round, he caught him with a spinning back fist that landed clean. I think. They just need to make a decision, man. Like if Jojo is going to fight for the belt, they need to announce it like now so that people aren't just left in this like murky water where we don't know what's going to happen next. It's in between space. Yeah, yep. I, I feel it. And, and imagine being in that weight class, though. You know, you're in that weight class and, you, and you're, you know, you're hoping to get a call to fight. And then you're like, well, I might not even have a job that has to do something to the minds of the fighters. Um, but, you know, I, I really believe that. The 125 division has made a case, and I think they've they've made a compelling case to to stay because you know some of the best action in, in scrambling is is what you've seen of, of the night was when Benavides and Formiga was gone. That combination where Formiga took down Benavides, and before Formiga can even solidify any control, you've seen Joe with just an amazing scrambling out of nowhere to reverse the position and get on top, and then you like. This is why 125 weight class should be because there's not many guys in many weight classes that can just scramble and move like that. You know, these 125 pounders, they, they, they're moving around. They're so fast. They're like two cats in the back, you yeah. know, fighting. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's the, the catch 22 where Demetrius Johnson was great, but he, in a weird way, somehow was the problem of, of, putting a damper over this division where people didn't buy into it. And it wasn't that he didn't fight exciting. He fought exciting. Whatever the formula was, the fans didn't buy into it. Yet, when you see a super elite flyweight fight, it absolutely rules. Like, so, there's no need to get rid of it. All right? There's, there isn't. But, we'll, but here's, we'll here's the thing, though. I mean, I mean, you, John Jones have done the same thing in his weight class. And, and, and no one's lost heart with the light heavyweight division. And maybe it's the size difference and everything like that. People like, you know, the bigger guy. I think my personal opinion it has to do with promotion. And I'm not trying to put the UFC down or anything like that. No, but you're I think being honest. If they, if they, if they would have promoted and put, and put that kind of 
you know, wow, the scariest guy, you know, on, on Demetrius Johnson. I think it could have done could have done the same thing that that it right. did for John well, Jones. My guy Henan Barrow was the Bantamweight King. You hear Dana on the microphone every day saying, well, he may not speak English, but he's the best fighter in the world. That's how you get a guy over rather than right. publicly criticizing his style. Look, Brandon, I don't know everything that works, but I feel like that's something, at least one of two things that could have worked. I could be fat. I could not have a six pack, but my dick works. My dick works. Wow. All right. Hey, okay. Just no sell me. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. It's great talking to you. Uh, any, anything else from Minnesota? You were there, uh, Rashad. You take any, any, any good feels from 42 year old Damian Maya pulling out another win? Yeah, I did. You know, one, one thing you show in that fight is this right here. You know, as you get older, you know, it, it gets harder to fight these younger guys. These younger guys come, they come with more and more edge and, and they're difficult to, to fight, but he meets it right in the crosshairs and, and he wasn't able to find his patent submission and he didn't stop. He didn't stop. He didn't get frustrated. He didn't he didn't go into himself or even make the fight even more difficult than it was. Even when the fans were booing, he still made sure he took his game. He was showing that that veteran experience and why, you know, he is what he is. You know, it might be the fact that no one out of the top three may be able to beat uh, Damian Maya when it comes down to it, just because of the simple fact that he's so dynamic on the ground. I love the one, one dimensional guys that are that great at that one skill i'm always i mean look that's why we love francis Ngano to a certain degree it's just sort of like it's old school it's like original ufc i bring this skill into the table you bring that and and how's it going to work out i still get down for that hey brandon i always get down i also get down when your boy eric anders is sending people to hell like he did that's, in a little over was, a minute yeah wow i mean that, the three heavyweights eric anders you know um dalsha and also uh manifield those guys are are that's exactly what I'm talking about. You know, that excited me coming out of my Minnesota because for the last few years, I felt like the, the light heavyweight division has taken a serious hit and, and it's not it hasn't been the same. At one point, it was one of the most competitive weight class. But I felt like over the last few years, it's taken a bit of hit. And now it's it's good to see that this young talent is coming back in and they're exciting fighters. They're fighters that go out there and they finish fights, you know. These are the kind of guys who's going to capture capture the imagination of the fans and make that weight class uh, grow once again. It's weird. Light, light heavyweight's that sweet spot in MMA, and and maybe it's because it had the the deepest and most marketable group back when you started Rashad, and it was that golden era from Liddell through you, Rampage, Forest, on and on, Machida and, and, and Shogun, and it was just sort of like that was I think the deepest a division has ever been in mixed martial arts until now with lightweight. And for boxing in the, you know, in the post heavyweight run, it was welterweights who made the biggest fights. I don't know if it's specifically the 205 pound frame of a man, but it seems like that's where you get your biggest stars and your best fights. I, I can't really explain it. Yeah, I think so too. Were you going to say something? Okay. No, I was just going to say though, that, that division, like we were talking about during our preview section of the, of 239 was like, yeah, like 205 has gotten to that third generation now for john jones when it comes to who he's fighting and the, the types of guys that he's fighting against where he's not fighting older names anymore he's fighting another crop of up-and-comers and johnny walker alonzo menafield um eric anders like you just mentioned before who was who else was this weekend on the card um dosha dosha like you've got all these new names that are coming into the picture that all have crazy power and skill that we just need to see them all blossom into stars and, yeah. and have the UFC get behind those kinds of guys. Yeah, you know one guy I was impressed with though, uh and and, and Daquan Townsend. I mean, I know I know Dasha uh did his thing with him, but um 
Um, what I liked about the Quan is that jab, that that jab, and I think at 185 with with a full camp behind him, I think he's gonna get he's gonna be able to do some things. And you know, also he was he's from uh, Michigan, out of the same gym in Lansing, Michigan that I'm from. You know, and and it's good to see one of those guys make it because uh, the gym that we train in, the gym that we're from, it, it was uh, it was it, it's kind of in the hood. It, no, it was in the hood. It was, in the, it, it was it was in this very beat up, dilapidated building, and uh, that gave it his character. It was like one of those old boxing gyms, those old gritty boxing gyms. Yeah. So you knew when you were coming to the MMA gym, you were stepping into hell, you know. And 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 the neighborhood reflected that. The building reflected that. And uh, it's good to see those guys break out of that circle of uh, in Lansing, Michigan, because that bred their mentality. You know, um, Daquan Thompson, even though he lost a fight, you're going to see him. You're going to be like, wow, this guy is something different because they have that 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 mindset, you know, that underdog mindset that you will get from growing or training in a, bil- a dilapidated building in Lansing, Michigan. Hey, fighters come out of Michigan. That that's a that's a lifestyle there. Fighters right, come right. out of Michigan. You know that. Wow. Yeah. Look at look at the history of boxing. You'll see that as well. All right, guys, we got to spin it forward to Vegas this week. It's big time. It's UFC 239. And I also checked the temps. Now, look, I'm not like you guys living it up in swampy South Florida where you – it's a lifestyle, right, to have the to- the sweat towel. See, in the Northeast, we don't do that. Yeah, we get hot summers, but we – you know, I don't know, guys. I like to he sweat – He has no idea what he's getting into is basically no. what he's saying. I like to sweat much. in organized sweating situations. So if I'm going <laughs> to go work out or play sports or, or have time with a lady – I'm going to sweat, and that's going to be okay. What I don't like, guys, is unplanned sweating. Now, for you guys in Florida, that's how you get down. But, Brandon, I checked the Las Vegas temps this week. Rashad, you're going to have to deal with this, too, as you go in the Hall of Fame. It's going to be 102, 104, 105 all week. You know what that's a uh, a uh, setting it up for? Some swamp ass, all right? So I want to <laughs> tell you guys how fired up I got my care package. You ever hear of this company, Ballsy? No, I never heard of Ballsy that. with the hook line, keep the funk off your junk. The folks at Ballsy, <laughs> knowing I was going on this trip with 105 degree days where swamp ass in Vegas is a probability, sent me, guys, ball wash, sack spray, nut rub, the cologne for your package, the spray for your Johnson. All I know, guys, is when the three of us hang out in Vegas this week, I will be very refreshed down south, okay? <laughs> Congratulations! I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that. He's been bragging about this for two weeks that he's getting this package, and he finally got it. And now he won't stop talking about it. I hope, I hope you share. I hope you share it. I will share my package with you guys. I'm serious. <laughs> all right, ball wash for your nuts, butt, and body. I'll share my right? package. Thank you. Hey, we got to get into Amanda Nunez time. The female greatest of all time, Brandon and I. Went down to ATT in the past month, had a great sit-down. You can also check out the full video interview this week on CBS Sports HQ. Coming at you from Brazil with love, it's the lioness, Amanda Nunez. Enjoy. The champ champ herself, Amanda Nunez, on the road to UFC 239 July 6th when you will defend your Bantamweight title against Holly Holm. But let's start here, Amanda. There's a lot of titles in your life these days. The UFC Bantamweight Championship, the Featherweight Championship, you, of course, won in your last fight against the legend Chris Cyborg. What about this title, though, that some people are giving you now? G-O-A-T, the GOAT. What does that mean to you? It's awesome, you know? It's a dream come true. And be the best. 
all, all the fans like to call me like that, I like it. You get into a lot of debate when you're talking about the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Are you right now the greatest female fighter in MMA history? Yes, for sure. I mean, the greatest of all time. And I have two belts, you know. I feel like never happened before in a women's MMA. And uh, this is the first time I'm the best. So for people that may not believe the Lioness is the best, they may say, well, I prefer Ronda Rousey. I prefer Chris Cyborg. Why do you have one up over them? Oh, everybody have, have your own opinion, you know. But uh, I'm the one right now. Well, this, is my, this is my error. This right is now. your error, and I certainly believe that you're the GOAT because you've beaten every big name. I think Holly Holm may be the last remaining former champion in your weight class, in your area that you haven't beaten. So what's at stake in this fight against Holly Holm? Holly is a former champion. This, the only one that I didn't beat yet. And I think that's why this fight like, is going to be very interesting. And I'm excited for it. Now, Lady, you're 30 years old. You seem to be right in the peak of your physical prime. You're already the most accomplished women's champion we've seen. Sometimes when I read your interviews, though, I hear the words retirement. I hear the words, maybe I'll walk away. Where are you at mentally right now? How much longer do you want to fight? You know, like I, I feel like I have a couple more things to do in the in the MMA career, and we'll see. We never know. We always think we know, but uh, I love what I do. You know, I feel like when I stay away for a couple months, I, I miss a lot. And sometimes I think, you know, I think I, I did everything for this sport and I might retire soon. But uh, when I started training again, you know, getting that vibe back and the excitement, everything, they're like, man, I can do this for a little while. And we, we never know, you know, I have, I feel like I have two big fights coming up soon. I feel like Holly and maybe the rematch against Cyborg is going to be awesome. And you see, I take from that. Take me back to that night, UFC 232, December, Los Angeles. You're moving up in weight. You were the underdog. Chris Cyborg hadn't lost since her pro debut, an incredible winning streak. You were never shaken in any of the interviews. You were quiet, calm. What did you know that we didn't know entering that fight? Yeah, I believe in myself the whole time. I know I'm going to be the, I would be the only one beat Cyborg. And this is driving me through the whole uh, promo, the whole camp, because I believe in myself. When I, I text Dan White, I say, like, give me that fight. I'm going to be a first double champion in the history. And he believed in me. He said, like, I love that. I think I'm going to make this happen. I said, like, okay, I waited for your call back. And then he called me back. And they said, you got this. You're the next. Say like, listen to me. I'm going to beat Cyborg. And... We're going to celebrate together. <laughs> Did you have happened. the celebration? Tell me about it. <laughs> no, just to say because, you know, it was a happy moment for my life. You know, I believe it the whole time. Everybody around me, my coach, my family, everybody believed in me since day one. And when it happened, it was like, I'm not surprised. We know it's going to happen. We know everything Cyborg has. We know. I watched Chris, like, since strike force. She was the champion that was, I was... Was my first fighting strike force at the time. She already was a champion, and I always watch her. I always like see what she can she can have, what good and bad about her game, and work a lot. You know, I knew the future. I'm gonna fight her. You didn't just beat the legend cyborg. You dismantled her. You did it in her weight class. She wasn't just the greatest of all time coming in. She's a Brazilian icon hero. 
What is it like for you when you go back to your native Brazil? What has been the reaction after defeating Cyborg? Actually, it'd be okay. You know, they they take it very well. I feel like uh, this is this sport is only can be one. You know, and I feel like I keep proving to myself to everyone I'm the best. And then that take that fight was to prove that for me. You know, I know I can do more. I know I can go for I can go to the top, like the the planet with that fight. And I want to see that. You know, I want to go through the whole process mentally, physically to see what I'm capable of because it's a lot of pressure. Cyborg never lost. You know, her first fight was like um, um, something like weird is, is going on in that fight. No, was like a lost loss, I feel like. But she never lost before, you know. And something in back of my mind tell me like, you're going to be the one. And I want to see that, you know, when you like have those things, you know, you keep driving forward. And I want to see that the All whole right, time. I, wanna, I, wanna, and, I love what I, what I hear from you because I can feel your mental strength, your belief in yourself. I think that's ultimately what must separate you when you fought each of these legends, whether it's Misha Tate, Ronda Rousey, Cyborg. Where does that come from when you look back on your life? How, why are you that mentally strong? I feel like grow with Jesus sport, you know, you, you can sit down and then wait you have to try to find the answers because it may, may keep growing you know if you stop a lot of people is gonna drive through you and you're gonna be on a step and i always try to to uh, you know like i try to like find new things i try like find like what what is mma's so big why mma is so big because people have to evolve with them you know and i think like that i keep evolving evolve with this sport i feel like this is making me strong yeah and you've been able to come back from some early defeats in, in, in the beginning of your career where some fighters we see it you know we see ronda rousey at the highest level suffers a loss is never the same what do those early losses do to you that have helped you become Unrivaled success, champ champ in the UFC. Yeah, actually, that fight against him, uh, Katzingan, was a, a huge thing in my career, supposed to happen. I always say that that fight supposed to happen. You know, I have the fight in my hand, I was ready, but it's no was my time. I know supposed no no supposed to be my moment. I know I was better than her that night. I was ready and everywhere, but for some reason. That night supposed to be hers. She might need more than me that night, and I give it to her. But helped me a lot to make a lot of changes, adjustment, and I feel like I supposed to move it to America top team. You know, that was the that point was the you? first thing that I did. You know, uh, my my other gym helped a lot. You know, too. But uh, one day I decided like walk inside the gym, America top team. And I feel something different. You know, when you walk some in some places, you're like this. This place makes me like comfortable. And when I I walk in that in this gym, I can feel that. Feel like I'm gonna be a champion here. And Love now, that. who I am, uh, now here I am. All right, to be a champion, we've established it. You gotta be mentally tough. You've gotta be able to bounce back from hardship. When was the moment though that you realized you had it? You could become not just a champion, but a potential Hall of Famer, greatest of all time. Is there a turning point in your career that you realize that? Uh, I feel like everything's happened like so fast in my career. 
Like sometimes I wake up, have new ideas, new movie to try in training. Have a lot with me. I, I dream about something, and I I I put in in the planet. I put in the world. You know. Sometimes I dream like in, with a movie. I say Nina, let me do something at the house right right when I wake up. Like let me try this on you. You know, I feel like in, in my life everything is that. You, you know, the moment by the bed. You exactly. Write down these dreams, uh huh. Right? The moment is like bringing me to who I am now. And I wake up. Sometimes I think something like, oh, I think that one is gonna be good. And Cyborg was uh, just a tall as well. Like one day, me and Nina was watching her fight. Nina looked at me like, man, I, I think you you can beat her. Honestly, I train with you every day. Like since since day one we met, I never, we never spend one moment away from each other. I know you can beat Cyborg. I say like I know you, but uh, it's not the moment yet. Let me giving me like I have to prepare like everything right here, in my mind, my brain, or in my mind, my in my body too. Like really, uh, put this on me because if people tell you you're gonna say yes, but you have to be ready for. Say yes, definitely, you know. Definitely. Until one day, like say, like you know what, like I'm gonna do it, and I, I don't have nothing to lose, you know. I have to keep testing myself, and that was a, a huge moment for me. Well, you certainly have somebody in your corner. You mentioned Nina Ansarov, your fiance, UFC women's strawweight contender. This is an incredible relationship that so many people love to watch, you guys. What you stand for, the the fact that we have two elite fighters in the same household. How did you guys meet? You got to tell the story. It's cool. We met at the gym. You know, I used to train in MMA Masters in Miami. I used to live in the gym, things like that. And if from nowhere, Nina show up. I always say like supposed to happen, <laughs> supposed to happen. And since that day, we never left uh, each other. Like that was pretty cool. She helped me a lot through my career. You know, Nina is a great fighter as well. She have a great vision. She know what is going on in my in my eyes. You know, she, I know everything about her too. Like like me and her, the coaches have like a perfect relationship because you have to have that. Because I'm in the I'm in the gym. When I leave the gym, I'm with, I'm with somebody else. I'm with the coach all the time. You know what I mean? The coach have to have a feedback from Amanda outside. You know. And we have those things. Nina be able to walk through that with my coach when my turn. When her turn, I do the same. I walk through that coach. I don't think she's sleeping very well today. You know, like I feel like she's like feel a little bit sad and things like that. Like we know how to walk very well. I feel like Nina is came into my life. Like she really like helped me grow. And with each other, we've been growing a lot. Since the moment that I met her through he, you see how everything's becoming like amazing. Off. And I feel like we leave a little bit of relationship at the side and we become a friend and training partners. I feel like this is that's why it's like we together until today. And we be around each other every single day since day one. I never like, oh I don't wanna see Nina's face today. Never happened. <laughs> You know what I mean? I well, you actually see her at work, you see her yeah. at home, it's everywhere. Actually, I miss her when she goes somewhere. I say, like, can you come back? All right. <laughs> well, like, what's the sparring history between the two of you? <laughs> I'm sure you must motivate each other. What is it? Does it get aggressive sometimes <laughs> when you have a brother combination? They don't want to spar each other. Do you guys still spar? Uh, we don't spar anymore, but uh, we used to. And and because we know so much the game of each other, it used to be very competitive. Yes. 
you know what I mean? And one time, Alexis Barry, we really got so mad at each other because she connected me and I connected, and we don't like that because the ego between both of us is huge. And I say like, I the quote like, you know what, Manilina? I don't think you guys should spy anymore. I think you, you guys should like help each other, like we put somebody else and then you guys coach each other. But uh, you should be good. But uh, when you see, have a lot of things like, I, I uh, injured Nina a lot. She like give me a couple injuries as well. And then like, was a little bit like intense. Maybe that was the right decision then. <laughs> but I walked about a couple moments, but now I feel like, uh, no, let's not do this anymore. We know no amateur is anymore. Yes. We You're have to be professional, now. for I sure. It. I love it. All right, I want to talk about what's left for you at Challenge. You said maybe two fights left. You got Holly Holm, you're not looking past her. Maybe a rematch with Cyborg. When I read all of your interviews, Amanda, and sometimes you mention your old rival, Valentina Shevchenko, the UFC flyweight champion, 125 pounds. Is this a real thing, the idea of you, champion at 135, champion at 145, to cut down to 125? Talk to me about this. Honestly, that would be awesome, you know? Like, I, I talked to my nutritionist, and it's something like, it's, it's gonna be impossible to do. Impossible? Impossible, because to go to 135 is like horrible for me. You know, that's why I decided to go up for a little bit to rest my body. My whole career, I have to cut away and, you know, it's, it's very crazy. And I decided to go up. But I thought I can do 135. <laughs> I thought I can do. I started for for a little bit. I said, like, I, I don't think I can I can get there. I don't think so. And in... And that would be hurt me a lot. Definitely, definitely. And Amai is gonna, I'm not gonna fight well. But if I could, I would be able to get that belt. But Amanda, maybe you can't cut down to 125, but Valentina feels like there's unfinished business between you. Some people wanna see a third fight between you, whether it's at 135 or not. Could that be in your future? Do you want one? You know, whatever, for me, like, Depend of my next my next step in my career. I beat her twice already, clear, twice, and I th I feel like the fans want to see Amanda Nunes that cyborg. I think it's more like interesting for them. I feel like is the most two dominated women on the planet. I feel like that make perfect sense. I feel like she's like have to care about her belt now, her division, building herself as a aggressive fighter you know she's dangerous she's good at what she, she in her game but uh, she's not enough for me I beat her twice I proved already and if you wanna be the champion you have to go for you wanna get that belt you have to like drive it through the champion you have to prove you better submit knock out the champion she did that to me I tried to find the whole time the uh, the fight for was five rounds and I chased her the whole time. Like, let's fight, let's fight, let's fight. Where are you, where are you? She always responded to me, but no was enough to, to get it about. That's why eyes. she went down to 125. She knows she can beat me. If she was 100% to show she can beat me, she would stay, stay in the 135. She's like, I'm gonna do it again, I'm gonna get it about. But she did it. She waited more easy for her. 
go to the tap, tap right here. All right, we don't want to keep you too long. You got a lot of training and preparation for July 6th, UFC 239 in Holly Holm. But we're in ATT, American Top Team, arguably the best gym in all of MMA. Some of the top male and female fighters in the world. Is it hard for you to find legitimate sparring partners at this point? You've toppled two divisions. Do you prefer to spar with men over women, women over men? What is it like? Uh, honestly, like we have everything. Like those guys, they kick my ass. You know, those girls too. We have Kayla Harrison. He, like, is a big girl. She helped me a lot. And um, you know, we have all those girls. He, even Nina, even all those uh, um, one one fifteen girls. All those girls help. You know, if you know how to train, if you know how to take it, uh, a, a little. Thanks for every training sparring, you're good. And imagine, I have a lot of bodies here, you know, to keep moving forward in this sport, to keep growing. All the, the styles, like we have so many fighters here, I can put like one each, like I'm gonna fight the whole uh, um, weight class, in my, in my weight class, the whole girls, because we have all the styles here, you know? And I feel like the gym is the best, and I think because that, I'm moving forward in this, in this sport, for sure. All right, champ, I couldn't help but notice the great ink you got here on your left arm. You've got 200, which of course is your victory over Misha Tate to win the Bantamweight title at UFC 200. 232 was the victory over Cyborg for that featherweight title. Will there be another tattoo in that line right there? I think it, maybe, yeah, for sure. Let's see, I feel like these two was the most like powerful one. UFC 200, that was... I becoming the champion was a huge moment in my life. I never forget the moment. It was beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And <clears throat> this one, I guess, Cyborg was like another level. And you will see. I feel like I don't want to tattoo my body anymore, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. July 6th, UFC 239. The last remaining former champion available at this moment for Amanda Nunez against Holly Holm. The champ champ herself. Thank you so much Thank for the you. time. Appreciate Pleasure to talk to you. All right, special thanks to Amanda Nunez, who, of course, has the big fight with Holly Holm this week. Guys, we're going to break that down at length in a minute. But something about what she said. Now, let's let's be honest here. Was she 30 years old? She's in her absolute prime. She thinks there's only two challenges remaining. Holly Holm on Saturday, maybe a Chris Cyborg rematch, which I think since the time that we talked to Amanda has gotten more difficult because Cyborg has one fight left on the deal later this month against Felicia Spencer. Then we don't know where Cyborg is going next. How long do you think she's going to do this if she keeps winning? I think she's only probably got those two fights left, man. Like you listen to her talk. She's, she's now obviously changed her tone a little bit after she, after she's had an interview with Brett Okamoto where she said that she only wants to fight a couple more times because of she only, she had a few beers when she said that, but I feel like there's nothing left for her to prove. Like I understand the competitionaholic feeling of it where you just feel like you always need to go out there and prove yourself. But really, man, if you look at her resume and if she beats Cyborg twice, and she's got the Holly Holm win, and she has two wins over Valentina Shevchenko, and she beat Misha Tate, and she beat Ronda Rousey. Like, what do you need to do anymore? This is right. you have reached the top. There ain't no more. There ain't no more high above that. Well, I mean, but but then you also have to look at the fact that you know she's not only doing this just because of you know she's trying to you know trying to re- re- reach a level as far as accomplishments, but she's doing this for money. You know, this is a job. So you know what I'm saying. 
she has accomplished a lot, but I think that, you know, she, she would just have to keep on going from a financial standpoint. But I, I guess, you know, it, it'll be more or less of like, you know, what does she use to challenge herself mentally? You know, um, when you, when you've knocked out all of the tough people, you do have to reinvent yourself with a new challenge. And, you know, if, I guess that'd be a good problem to have, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I still think you can obviously market a Cyborg rematch if if Chris resigns with UFC. You look at how quickly she got rid of, of Cyborg. Second chance, it's a great fight. Should Valentina Shevchenko come back up to one thirty five, which I think she should for a trilogy. It's rare, guys, when one guy, when one fighter, male or female, beats someone twice. That we're talking about a trilogy, but I think with how close that rematch was, that sellable. If you want to get creative, the only loss Amanda Nunez has was to Kat Zingano in a fight that she was winning before she gassed out and got stopped. I know Kat would have to put together some wins, but outside of that, what are you going to do? It's going to be retread time. There's no one else. There really isn't anyone else. So No, there isn't. But, I mean, yeah, and, and, and that's the thing. There's even no one on the horizon either. There's no one even on the horizon. That's the most That's the tough conversation to have right now because women's fighting is great, Rashad. Ronda did so much. I brag about the strawweight division ad nauseum. I think that's a deep division. It's a great one. But flyweight, not deep. Featherweight, I think you can close down shop tomorrow and nobody's going to blink an eye. And yeah. bantamweight, the division that Ronda made, you're not reloading. You, it's, it's retreadable here. Uh, the, the lack of depth in the sport, it's a very star-driven sport. We got stars no, I, right now. We need opponents. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But you know what, though? Here, here's the thing. I would I wouldn't put anyone past uh, being able to come up and and, and being able to uh, I guess surprise an Amanda Nunes even though she's accomplished so many things, uh, providing she even gets past Holly Holm, um, because we got to remember Joanna Champion. You know when she was looking like she was unbeatable, then she got then she got caught. You know because at the end of the day, when you're a UFC fighter, you always have the ability to be. Or, you know, or, or to, to get beat by the next UFC fighter because these guys are getting recruited for a reason. You know, you're not, you're not getting any easy fights. Everyone has that ability that's in the octagon with you. And it's sometimes it's just a matter of, of hitting that mental switch, you know, and, and some athlete that we may not even know yet, something may just, they may wake up one day and be like, you know what? Oh, I, I get it. It clicked, you know, and that's how it happens sometimes. Sometimes it just click and then everything, things just start, things are just different and you compete different. So that the athlete may still be in the weight class. They just haven't come up yet. That's a good point. Now, to close on Amanda, I don't think we talk enough, guys, how unlikely this actually is, this story. Like, Nunez is now the GOAT, and I get that women's MMA has only been around for at this level for a short amount of time. So to call somebody the GOAT, you can, you can argue and say you can't call anybody that until we really put together a bunch of years. But you can't argue with a resume, and she was never handpicked. She was never the fresh-faced starlet, yet she beat every single one that was. And if she beats Holly Holm, wow. Like, that's a hell of a resume for a humble, quiet girl from Brazil. This is a great story. And when you add in the Nina Ansarov element, people are rightfully in love with their relationship and their in the way that they present themselves on social media, how accessible they are, what they stand for. Amanda Nunes is like this American hero story in some way. It's like the American dream. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think that, you know, she may have not been the star that they wanted her to pick, but she's a star that they needed. And by that, I mean, if you look at, you know, her impact and what she's been able to bring to the UFC, you know, she, she's, she's, 
she's bring that brought that awareness of we're all fighters. They have their show, shirt now. We're all fighters, which is, you know, speaking, you know, to that community. And I think that's a great community to speak to because that that binds us all together. And I think the more things that we can have to say, hey, you know, let, let's break down these divisions. At the end of the day, we're all people. I think that is the message. And I think that she's somebody who embodies that message to the fullest. Well said. Well said indeed. And now. Speaking of breaking things down, let's get into the car this week. Let's do it. Oh, yeah. Saturday night is all right for fighting on the Status Combat Podcast on CBS Sports. Because the Brian Campbell coming back at you with my crew previewing UFC 239. It's International Fight Week in Las Vegas. BC, you're looking at CBS Sports writer, editor, Brandon Wise. And to his left. Soon to be a Hall of Famer this Friday, Las Vegas. He's former UFC light heavyweight King Sugar, Rashad Evans. Boys, this is the dream team of MMA audio. Back with you. Back to preview this year's deepest card. I'm fired the heck up. And I see why, man. This card is absolutely amazing. I mean, you got John Jones. You got Amanda Nunes. I mean, Holly Holm. And you can't forget about Maheta, Tiago Santos. I mean, they loaded, they, Brandon, they loaded this main card like you would expect for this type of Super Bowl outing. And a reminder, anybody hearing this in audio form right now, we are giving you the treat of a video preview of UFC 239. So pause the podcast and head on over to YouTube to check it out. But be wise, as far as the UFC's, to steal, to steal a Scott Coker phrase, tentpole, Super Bowl, big time cards. We know what to expect every year from IFW. How loaded is this one in your eyes? This is about as big as it gets because you've got two of the greatest MMA athletes of all time competing, not just at the end of their careers, in their prime still against competitors that are going to give them more problems than people are letting on. Don't let those betting lines fool you, folks. Tiago Santos is a problem, and so is Holly Holm. Plus, you've also got a big name and Ben Askren coming back after his win over um, his win over Robbie Lawler. Robbie Lawler. And he's going to get a guy in Jorge Masvidal who is as game-bred as they come. I just think in terms of scope and in terms of name value, you've got something for everybody this weekend in International Fight Week. Now, Rashad, yeah. I checked your resume, if you will, which is a Hall of Fame resume, if you will. And I know you will on Friday night at the Palms in Las Vegas. You never had the chance to fight during IFW, International Fight Week, but you've been around a long time. How big is it for a fighter to be on this type of showcase? It is huge because, you know, this is the most, uh, like you said, this is the Super Bowl, you know, to be on this card, to be able to, uh, you know, be on the stage and have your name along the signs of John Jones and Holly Holm and Amanda Nunez and all those other names, you know, it brings a lot up to your profile if you're not one of those big guys. And, you know, even if you're Diego Sanchez and, you know, you've been in UFC for a long time, you know, and uh, you haven't been on the main card in a while. Now you're on a main card, you know, in, 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 the, in, a, in a big way. So um, it's absolutely huge, huge for a fighter. Now, I don't know if this is uh, the most loaded International Fight Week card we've seen. I got to go to UFC 200 a few years back, 2016. I know that was a in, good the one, end, yeah. in the end, we didn't get that DC Jones main event that we all wanted and expected. But when you had Brock coming back and you had a kind of loaded, like we've never seen loaded. I mean, I don't know if you guys remember. I got it in front of me. The worst fight on the card was a Jim Miller, Takanori Gomi. You had Gegard Mousasi in the second fight. These are like fight pass prelims. 
and you go on and up. When you got TJ Dillashaw, Sage Northcutt, Kelvin Gastelum on that, you know, preliminary card, and then that loaded one, Aldo Edgar too, on and on. Cain Velasquez has come back. That was the real deal. That was a big one. And let's not forget that week. Remember that? 2016, UFC gave us Joanna, Claudia, two, two nights before, Eddie Alvarez, RDA, the night before. That was one hellish week right around the time of that sale. But they're back with a big one, two title fights. You guys hit the the big narratives off the top. Maybe the best fighter in women's history. Maybe the best fighter of all time headlining this card and a people's main event, like you mentioned there, Brandon, between Askren and the realest of the reals, Jorge Masvidal. I'm fired up. I'm ready. Let's dig this thing up. Let's peel back the onion. You may cry a little bit, but I'm fired up for this, all right? Rashad, before we do that, IFW also has the Hall of Fame. We've been talking for weeks on this show. What an honor it is for you. We're proud of you. You're going to be up on that podium. You may cry yourself. You're going to be <laughs> talking about the memories. But I always love to ask this of athletes. What's the one memory? What's the one, the one thing memory oh, that man, you put on the, uh, you know, that you want to frame and put above the fireplace over your great career? Man, there, there's there's so many. I, you know, I, I would just have to say, you know, it was winning a belt just because, um, you know, out of everything that I've been through from the Ultimate Fighter show, you know, all the way to receiving a belt, it was nothing but trials and tribulations. And, and uh, you know, I had to overcome myself in a big way. So that to me was just uh, the biggest moment because winning that belt against Forrest, it, it pretty much symbolized my whole path in the UFC, even in that fight itself. You know, I was getting tested that fight. I was getting worked. Forrest was whooping me the first two rounds. And then that third round, you know, Mike Winklejohn told me in the corner, he said, hey, you got to come out and you got to get this. And uh, and I did. I answered the call. So for me, uh, I would say the championship fight was definitely that that moment. Never forget that fight, Forrest Griffin. What a victory. Let's see who's going to have those type of moments this Saturday inside T-Mobile Arena, UFC 239. And Brandon Wise, you let, you let something out there. Not, not, not some bad gas, although Rashad may be able to attest to that. But you let out the idea that as John Jones returns for his third title bout in just seven months coming off that USADA suspension, that 35-year-old Brazilian, Tiago Santos, is not a soft touch, is not a gimme. And you went as far as saying he may be a live dog. Explain yourself. Well, I just think that people need to understand that when we've talked about John Jones' opponents for the last couple of months, I mean, we talked about Alexander Gustafson being a, a an interesting rematch because of how great that first fight was. And then we see him just kind of systematically take Gustafson apart before he finishes that fight. And then he gets the quick turnaround for him. It's a quick turnaround against Anthony Smith. And everybody was kind of like, really? Like, Anthony Smith is a good fighter. Don't get me wrong. We, we know that history with you and him at this point, but he's not that adept to being a, beating a John Jones type. Tiago Santos has been in this game for a long time. He has grinded his way to this opportunity. And don't forget, he has incredible knockout power. Just go back and watch that Jimmy Manuel fight and just see how many crazy head kicks and punches he's trying to throw to take his head off. And then the John Blachowicz fight, the we, uh, the fight after that. He has power. He's going to give John Jones some things to think about when, if he's able to get inside that guard and land a couple of headshots. Yeah. And now that's a fair act. sell. Hold, hold on one second, Rashad. That's a fair sell if you're Dana White right there. But Rashad, did you hear those words B-Dub said? This ain't Anthony Smith. I just want to remind you, Anthony Smith knocked Tiago Santos out. So, you know, let's keep that in perspective. Yeah, and that's exactly it. But here's the thing that, 
you know, I, I believe that uh, Tiago Santos brings that that uh, Anthony Smith didn't bring. He brings that punching power, but he also brings, I think, a better mental game when it comes to just adjusting his game on the fly. And he shows that with his Jan Blakowicz fight, where he was able to adjust his fighting style. Normally, you'll see Maheta come forward and with a lot of pressure and just, you know, try to get that quick win when he jumps on his opponents. But in that fight. He played a different game. He he countered really well, and he was a more patient striker. And that's something we haven't seen out of Mahetha yet. So when 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 he came with that patient striking, he showed me that he has the ability to adjust, and he showed me that he's a cerebral fighter. So I like that against a John Jones, who is the most cerebral fighter I believe the game has ever seen. Yeah, uh, you nailed it right there. I want to hit that one second. We just got a bunch of looks at that beautiful Thor's hammer tattoo on Tiago Santos's chest. Now, Rashad, you're a public figure. When you put ink on that body, everyone's going to see it in that octagon. Does Brock Lesnar watch Tiago Santos fight and ask himself, man, I should have been a little more particular on my sword, on my chest hat, <laughs> because some people think it looks like a male organ. Your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to leave that alone. Brock is kind of big, man. I, I want to stay all in that, right, all right. that, that situation. All right, that is fair. All right, but what you nailed right there is the cerebral assassin to steal from another WWE figure, Triple H. That's John Jones. The thing I'm taking the most, guys, from his comeback from the USADA suspension, getting his belt back for, what, the third or fourth time, is this is the evolution now of John Jones in his early 30s, and this is scary because he was always going to be that oversized light heavyweight, 84-inch reach, incredible game, toughness, everything that could go into somebody who we're saying might be or already is the greatest of all time. But what I saw in that Gustafson rematch was patience, was efficiency, was everything you're saying cerebrally. How scary is John Jones, guys, when he already has those physical advantages, but now he's coming into a fight, getting up there just a little bit in age, but still in his obvious prime right now in his early 30s. But now he's figuring out how to do it even easier. To me, that's Floyd Mayweather stuff. That's a sign of a genius. Yeah, absolutely. And especially since the fact that he he's so he's so creative with it, too. You know, when you have an athlete like John Jones, not only does it have the dynamic athletic ability, but then you add the smarts to it, but then you add the creativity to it. Now you have an athlete who can put you in a trick bag before you even know the trick is even had. You know, and and that's what he's been able to do with his fighters. And that's what I felt when I was inside the octagon with him. You know, the first couple of rounds, I was able to, you know, hit him with a few things. But then once he started to figure me out, then I, then he started to pull away on the tail of the tape. And it was when he, when he was reaching out and I was like, OK, it gives me a chance to get inside. But then he dropped that elbow on me and then it, that kind of changed the tempo of the fight. But that was just him making adjustments to what I was giving him. And that was a cerebral part of John that has only gotten better with time. I mean, that's unfair that he can come at you at 84 and a half inch reach and throw basically forearms that look like jabs and punches. Ridiculous. I mean, it's just not fair. Ridiculous. But B-dubs, no one takes Daniel Cormier down. Yet John Jones consistently takes Daniel Cormier down. Do we not give this legendary all-time great, the guy that we just called the damn GOAT, do we not give him enough credit for what he does on the ground when he needs to? I mean, he's considered the greatest mixed martial artist of all time. I think we give him plenty of due when it comes to the wrestling because even in that Anthony Smith fight in in March, he was using his wrestling. He was taking Anthony to the side of the cage and controlling him with his, his ground and pound and his grappling. So I think that his wrestling gets plenty of due. My only thing is that I hope he's able to continue to use the cere cerebralness that we're talking about. I hope he doesn't get baited into a big war here because to me... Like I said before, that's the only way Santos is winning this fight, is if he baits him into a war. And John has never fallen for those kind of tricks before. So if Santos is able to do something like that, 
we might have a more interesting fight on our hands. And, and that and that makes me even think uh, to the point of listening to some of John Jones' interviews. You know, uh, you know, I always listen to what the fighters say. Now, listen in between the lines, and you know, he, he's talking about um, he's not really too nervous, and he wished that he was more nervous. Now, if that was if I was his trainer, that would make me nervous because yes, an athlete, you know, as a fighter, you have to have those nerves. When I when I felt the most nervous is when I. Was when, when I when I let me take that back. When I performed my best is when I felt the most nervous. You know, when when I wasn't feeling my most nervous and when I was kind of like, uh, you know, it is what it is. Then I fought like it is what it is. Where I just didn't I just didn't have that same that same I guess reaction time or just same kind of you know uh, feeling before I stepped in the octagon. And um, you know, John's a consummate professional and he's a mental warrior. But you have to think at some point, you know. If we're looking, you know, the Monday after that fight, are we saying, oh, we should have seen this is the sign that we should have seen that maybe John was going to take an L this time? I'm glad you said that. And be wise. I don't know if you saw the same interview I did that I'm sure Rashad is referencing when John sat down with Brett Okamoto of ESPN and he said exactly those same things. Oddly enough, I'm not nervous. And Rashad, you're a fighter who does some journalism and you're crossing over. But us journalists, when you have a matchup like this, Joan Santos. Good matchup for the hard course, not a sexy matchup. I mean, look, it's main eventing the biggest card of the year, so it's sexy enough. But there aren't a lot of layers to this or narratives, and sometimes we look for things to make one. The second I heard John Jones say that, I had that same fear of, look, this is his third fight in seven months. I, I don't know his financial situation. I don't know if he's being this active because he wants to. But this is a lot, and can you amp yourself up as consistently when everyone's saying you're a monster favorite coming in? You're right. Those are the things that we said we should have had our 2020 glasses on. This is also John Jones, though. And if Brandon Wise, if he correctly, like you predicted, if Tiago can get him into a war, when have you ever seen John Jones dropped? Any war I've seen him in, the guy bites down on that mouthpiece, and he doesn't just have the go ability he has one of those goat backbones as well. Yeah, and I just think that, I mean, there's a lot of media obligations that go in, and and John's probably kind of tired of saying it at this point that he's looking forward to this fight. He might have phrased things the wrong way as he's getting ready for this fight, but you can't overlook the fact that everybody who's talked to John Jones has said, when are you moving to heavyweight? When are you going to dare to be great and move up in weight? There might be a little bit of that like doubt creeping in as or him overlooking Tiago Santos to the point where it's like, all right, I need to go get this done so we can figure out what's next after this at 205 or maybe at heavyweight. Well, I can tell you one thing that'll make you overlook somebody is the fact that you just pretty much what he did against Anthony Smith, you know, and Anthony Smith, as you said earlier, be uh, he beat Tiago Santos. So comparing, you know, uh, I guess the fight matrix, you know, I guess mm-hmm. doing MMA math, well, I beat this guy and he beat that guy, so I should be able to do this to that guy. Well, n- not necessarily because at the end of the day, you know, there's so many different uh, different things that goes into what, what makes a fight become what it is as far as an outcome standpoint. But um, that worries me about John, just just the fact that he, he, he he's in there with somebody that has serious punching power, that is seriously fast, and he's strong. And, um, you know, he, he's not someone that you can take a blow with because he can rock you and he can rock you and keep you like like when, when, like I knew that Tiago had different power and it's the same kind of power. I can't say it's the same kind of power, but it's on the same street as Ngannou. And that I mean, the fact that when you're able to throw power and not a power position backing up or moving in a way and you still are knocking people into next week, 
that's some serious power. And I think that that's the kind of power, even though John Jones has faced a lot of powerful strikers, I don't think he hit, he's faced anybody with that kind of accidental kind of power. That's interesting. That's an interesting way to look at sort of the wild card that Tiago Santos brings to this matchup. Because if we're going to play the narrative of could Jones be overlooking him, I guess there's some similarities to the build to the first Gustafson fight where really out of ignorance, odds makers, it seemed, were making Jones such an obscene favorite. Not ignorant. I mean, Jones has been on a run that was incredible. But I think the difference in trying to compare those is outside the cage from everything Jones says, he was not about that life that he needed to be during that week. There was a little white lightning going on. I feel like Jones this time around, man, he's been to hell and back. A lot of that hell self-induced. And I see from his interviews as focused a guy I think as I've ever seen. And look, that's always been one of his skills to sort of put aside all the, the mayhem in his personal life and perform inside that cage. But all things seem to tell me his personal life's doing damn good right now, too. He may be on the other side of that fence finally for good, it seems. I hope so. Because we want to see this guy fulfill his legacy. You want to see that in any sport, any supernatural athlete at this level. He's the Jordan or the LeBron of this sport, of this era. And to get there, though, to go back to what Brandon said, hey, bro, no more of these in-between title defenses. You don't prove anything by beating a Tiago Santos. You don't prove anything by beating an Anthony Smith. You prove something by chasing DC at heavy, by facing Stipe, by facing Nganu. If he moves up there, guys, and does the things at heavyweight that we think he can, there will not be a debate who the greatest of all times. There won't be an upper room. There will just be one chair, a throne, and John Jones will be sitting at it for a long time. So could this be the last one, please? Put your matchmaking hat on, guys. Could you play Sean Shelby for a second? This has to be it at 205, right? I, I would say so, just because of the simple fact of this right here. I don't believe the heavyweight, divi- I mean, the light heavyweight division has matured enough yet. I mean, we, we've got some pretty good showcases on Saturday, you know, with, with Manafield and, and, and stuff like that, you know, and, and those light heavyweights that, that perform on Saturday look like they can be, be some contenders one day, but they're not mature yet. And I think that, you know, maybe by the end of the, the year or two years, whatever the case may be, John may have some true competition at the, the 205 weight class but i think right now the smart money is or the money is is definitely a matchup at heavyweight you got to let him get those guys up there right like that's what you mean alonzo menafield johnny walker you got to let these guys grow you Bro. can't just keep yeah. feeding them to john jones to yeah. suffer a, a terrible terrible defeat because then you have nothing to build on anymore because yeah. one day sorry about it but john jones isn't going to be here anymore yeah, you know exactly. and you need somebody yeah. that's going to be able to take the reins and, and run this division so exactly what what rashad said there i think that it is time for john to move up oh my god am i terrified if he's fighting francis and ganu by the way because that fight <laughs> would be insane to watch a reach oh my lord so yeah just there's so many more fun things to do for him at heavyweight than there are at yes. heavyweight right now and that wow jones and ganu would be the ultimate oh i need gosh. to see that fight like forget the breakdowns forget how smart you think you are i need <laughs> to see what happens next in that fight Good Lord. And something I mention a lot in final point on this is Jones already cleaned out two different eras of light heavyweight. Let's let this third era that he's in now trying to clean out actually mature, like Rashad said, and get there. But look, we are watching. I think sometimes we have to pinch ourselves to remind ourselves we are watching a special, special athlete, and he'll try to continue that run on Saturday. Speaking, though, fellas, of special athletes and fights I really want to see, it is that co-main event. When Amanda Nunez either puts 
one of her two UFC titles and then that third title of greatest of all time. Or maybe some people think she needs a victory here to finally secure that. But the key part about this matchup against Holly Holm, the former champion at 135, is this is the last remaining former or current champion in the two weight classes where Nunes has dominated that she has yet to face. Historically, it seems to make sense that this matchup would be booked. And guys, how you want You ready for this? Holmes a live dog, brother. Styles make fights. You can't do MMA math, just like Rashad said. Holmes will be in this fight. I really care about how this is going to break down. Yeah, absolutely, man. This one is exciting to me. And I think about this fight, and, I, and I'm trying to think of how it's going to play out, but it can play out in so many ways. And, and for me, the, how it plays out is just based on Holly Holmes, to be honest, because I think that when Holly Holmes is fighting her game, and, and by that, her game, I mean not not with the heavy planted foot that she does sometimes and she gets stagnant. I don't like when she gets like that because then she's not able to use one of the most uh, beautiful things that she has. She has beautiful feet, beautiful footwork, and her footwork was the reason why it made it for um, Ronda Rousey so hard to hit her. And then it was, then she was able to serve Ronda Rousey up with some combinations. But when she's moving around and she has nice footwork and she's dancing on the outside, she's able to find better timing on her punches and things like that. And 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 her striking, her punching is is what she has to get back to. She's a comp. She's she's a she's a boxer. You know, at the end of the day, she has a boxing background. And that is something, uh, an advantage she has over anyone else in a weight class, you know, head and shoulders above anyone else in a weight class. And I think that's something that she needs to exploit more. But a big part of using that is getting back to that boxing footwork. And I think the one reason why she got out of that boxing footwork is because it made her more susceptible to takedowns, which I understand. But when you learn how to, it's it's really, if she circled, did like a half circle, then that would kind of give her a, a, a better base going against someone who's trying to take her down. But at the end of it all, footwork is the key for Holly Holmes. Yeah, I just think that that's part of it, right, is that when she is doing the circle around, that's her game plan, right? She doesn't. She's not in going in there for knockout punches or knockout head kicks. She's looking to get her points that way. And I think Amanda Nunes' biggest key for this is going to be getting inside on her don't play the game and try to follow her around the cage because, as Amanda says, that's what happened when she fought Shevchenko the second time where she wasn't able to, to actually fight. She had to chase the whole time. So if she's able to let Holly do her circle, stay center, and try to box with her, I know you just said that she's one of the best boxers in her weight division, but Amanda Nunes has power, man. Absolutely. Both of those hands, she has crazy power. And she put it on display in her last four fights. And I just think that for, uh, for Holly... To be successful, she's not going to be able to knock her out. I think she's going to have to just outpoint her for a five rounds and just yeah. make Amanda work hard and just keep pushing her and pushing the pace the whole time. There's going to have yeah. to be a technical showcase for oh, yeah, Holly for, Holm. For sure, for sure. And, she, and it's – go ahead. No, I was going to say she's, she's going to have to use her boxing couple with those. She has great leg kicks too. You know, the first time I ever sparred uh, Holly Holm, she almost knocked me out with one of those head kicks. <laughs> embarrassingly, embarrassingly, uh, embarrassingly enough, she almost knocked me out with one of those head kicks. But she has amazing timing and amazing precision on those head kicks. So I think that you know, coupled with footwork, those you know, those teep kicks that she does, and and her boxing combinations that she does, I think that she can definitely, uh, definitely do some damage in this fight. Now, look, Holm is one of the weirdest legacies already in MMA. And, you know, certainly yeah. she came from boxing as such a decorated champion. If you're going to be cynical, you can argue and say, look, no one's 
milked or lived off of one victory, the knockout of Rousey, more than any other fighter in history. But on the flip side, I'm going to tell you, even though she enters this fight, meaning Holly Holm, just two and four in her last six, she's not getting any worse at age 38. She's actually getting better. She came into this sport so raw, making that transition. Yeah, she had a kickboxing background, but she was learning on the job and her only defeats, guys. I mean, look, they come against the very best in the sport. I think the only real outlier there is that loss to Jermaine Durandamy. It was a weird, boring fight. Holly was flat. She had an opportunity to become the sport's first female two-time champion. And it's interesting to look back on how we would even look at her now if she had won that fight. But when she loses, she never gets physically dominated. She doesn't get stopped. Yes, she had issues with Cyborg's power and ultimately Cyborg's technique. But Holly is a tough puzzle to figure out. And when you look at this run that Nunez has been on, it's been brilliant. But she's fought every opponent, even against Cyborg. She had some kind of advantage, whether it be height or reach. I'm never here to say that's the reason why she won. I'm just saying Holm will be the first fighter who has a longer reach, who is the same height as her. Cyborg matched up well with her, but that fight ended before it started. If Holm can take Nunez into deep waters, we don't fear Nunez gassing out like we feared earlier in her career in the loss to Katzengano in the first Shevchenko fight. But it could get interesting if Holm could avoid the big shots early and make this a, a chess match, make this more about X's and O's than anything else. That's where I think the live dog element comes from because you could see the age, but Rashad, she's almost getting better with age. Yeah, she is, you know, and that's that, that's the work ethic of, of Holly Holmes, you know, she she's one, you know, she stays into the gym and she always is just, you know, critiquing her performance and not afraid to hear critique. And that's what I think that an athlete gets true growth like she's gotten. But, you know, like you said, the loss that she has, has has fought, you know, she she's never been, you know, truly, truly dominated. These girls are, you know, it's been some really tough fight against some really stiff competition. And, and I think when. You know, she starts to feel more confident in her MMA skin, meaning the fact that she can take the, the fight all the way down from being on her back all the way down to, to her feet without worrying about being stuck or any, in any kind of position. Then you're going to see Holly grow another level still. And you have to understand these women in, in the weight classes, you know, they, they're, they're still evolving. You know, the women's weight classes are still evolving. And, and I look at the women's weight classes now and, and I'm just so proud of how, how how good these women have gotten since the beginning since they started you know and and all of them collectively have gotten so much better you know so uh you know w with holly home i just think it's just about her feeling that confidence that yes i am a true true mma fighter and i'm not worried about being taken down the hell down and you know be wise i say it a lot she looks personally refreshed i know she's coming off a divorce but She's a true artist and great artists in history. Bruce Springsteen among them. Post-divorce, they come out and do their best work. So uh, what I'm saying here is you called me a hedger. <laughs> Betting-wise, I think you take Holly Holm, but you got to predict the, the the GOAT, the Amanda Nunez, that this is her fight to win. I just think it's going to be a lot more difficult than people think. I mean, you don't see Holly Holm get knocked out. She had one knockout loss in her boxing career and came back right away and avenged it. She's got a good chin. She knows how to control distance. What does this fight end up looking like, though, Brandon Wise, once they touch gloves Saturday night? I really think the game plan for Amanda is going to be similar to the Cyborg fight. She's not going to want to stay around for a 25-minute brawl with, with Holly Holm, where Holly Holm's trying to take her gas tank away and trying to make her work and, and see how her endurance holds up. I think Amanda's going to go out there guns blazing, 
throwing haymakers to start that fight and just see what how see how Holly reacts. You know, because if she catches her with, with a two punch combination off the bat. How is Holly going to react to that? Is she going to keep her same game plan where she circles around looking for the head kick? Or is she going to, is she going to have to make an adjustment where she's, she might have to wrestle? You know, she might have to change up something that she's not used to doing depending on what Amanda does. I just think Amanda's game plan has been pretty similar in all of these fights where she just goes for it. And if she goes for it, she's going to finish. I think she'll finish Holly in the third round. I think this is going to be a third round finish. Well, I mean, uh, w- w- with the brilliance that that is Amanda Nunez, the champ, champ. Uh, what what impresses me most about her is just the pressure that she brings forward. You know, she calls herself the lioness, and you can really see that when she fights because she brings pressure, not like uh, a lot of other people. You know, she stalks and she stalks at such a steady pace where she's not getting herself overcommitted, and she's able to fire back in rapid pace where she's just outside of the reach of their opponent, of her opponent, and she's able to fire back and be in range and land those power shots. That's been a brilliance of Amanda Nunes. And then when she gets her opponent thinking that she's, you know, only striking, then she's able to transition and do something else. It's the transition. It's the punching power. It's the, just the, the, the confidence and just the mental creativity inside of there that makes Amanda Nunes what she is, yeah. what she is. And, and I'm, I'm just, I'm just, so, so here's where I'm thinking, you know, the, the, the knockout with Cyborg could have done one or two things. One, it could have said, you know what? I have the serious power. I can just sit back on and, and, and when I'm patient enough to find it, it's going to come again. Or it can make her be like, you know what? I got this knockout power. I'm going to go and hunt for the knockout. Now that will be a problem against somebody like Holly Holm, who is an amazing counter striker. Very true. But what, you know, you, you nailed the superlatives on Nunez. Well, another thing is she's insanely accurate with that right hand. I mean, it's her money punch. And you look at everyone she's fought from Tate on the way through. She lands that thing hard, consistently, early, sends that message. So if she does have the strategy, like Brandon said, of attacking early, uh, I mean, this is what makes this matchup so good. Holm is that perfect counter striker. We're really going to see some high-level chess on display there. Can't wait to see this fight. Again, I don't think you can do anything but pick Nunez, though, on the run that she has been going through. Guys, let's get into, to quote the great Rock, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, and not <laughs> quoting Ariel Hawani here, the people's main event, the mm-hmm. one that you could argue, guys, could headline any other call, any other non-pay-per-view card in the calendar year for UFC. It's Jorge Masvidal. It's Ben Askren. It's two red-hot welterweights, not only from their performances in the cage, but certainly personality-wise, these guys can talk. They do not like each other. You heard Jorge Masvidal on the show in the past few weeks spitting hot fire. Style-wise, though, Rashad, what do you love about this matchup? Stylistically speaking, you know, um, what I like about the matchup is that both of these guys want to fight on a stylistic. But but honestly speaking, here's the thing about it. I'm going to keep it real. Ben Askren is so entertaining since he got into the UFC uh, because it's trash talking and all that stuff. But watching Ben Askren fight is not the most exciting thing in the world. <laughs> apart, I mean, that Ro- that Robbie Lawler fight was an exciting one. But apart from that, all the one- other ones I've seen has not been the most exciting thing. So when you say what am I liking stylistically about this, I like the fact that Ben Askren is going to go out there and put his nose to the grindstone and do what he does best, which is find a way to get the guy to the ground and to dominate him any way possible and look for the finish. That's what he does. When you're looking for somebody, he's not going to strike. He's not going to be one of those guys who's going to wire you with anything on his feet when it comes to a stand-up. Now, there lies the rub. 
because then you have somebody in George Jorge Masvidal who is extremely fluid and extremely nice with his hands, with his kicks, with his setups. You know, so I think, and he has decent ability to 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 keep the fight where he's going. But then this is just like the the Damian Maya comparison. You know, his black belt to another. Uh, black belt in the UFC is just a different level and I think when it comes to wrestling I think Ben Askren has just a different level of grappling that is really hard to train for and I think it's going to be an exciting matchup just because of that because Jorge Maswell knows this I cannot let this guy get his hands on me because he will fatigue me he like instantly drains you because it's so hard to get out of his funk no matter who you are you're going to get tired of getting out of his funk so he knows that. So any single time that uh, Ben gets close, you're going to see fireworks. And that's what I'm excited about. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because Askren's going to take what he has to to get close to him, as you mentioned there. But one thing that you said really jumps out, like this is a sexy matchup. Jorge's hot as ever. Two-piece in the soda. He's living that life. He's lighting up Leon Edwards backstage. His patience seems to be there after taking more than a year off outside of the cage. He's evolving in his early 30s, probably to the best version of him we've ever seen. Yet none of that may end up mattering in the end, because I think if Ben Askren showed you one thing in that Robbie Lawler match, and yeah, it had a weird ending and you can go either way with it, I think he showed you he has major league toughness. Whatever you're going to say about his striking ability, he's arguably the best wrestler in the MMA cage in the world. But he showed that backbone against Robbie Lawler, not going to panic. Look, some guys come from faraway lands, Rashad, and they got a big reputation, whether they're coming from Bellator, the old World Series of Fighting, or across the pond. And they get into that cage, and things are a little bit different, and the lights are a little bit bright. I think Ben Askren showed you against Robbie Lawler. He's here to sell pay-per-views eventually. He's here to get his hands on that welterweight title. He's here to come after your boy Marty, by the way. His words, not mine. And I think for as sexy and flashy as this matchup is, it could really be a frustrating snoozer in the end. You remember Masvidal against Steven Thompson? That is butt-handed to him in three one-sided rounds. Steven Thompson and Ben Askren have two entirely different games. But for Jorge, I fear that we're headed into that t- same type of frustration. Yeah, I, I totally, I totally agree. And, and that's, and that's why when you asked me about the matchup stylistically, that's why I said what I said because this can be a landslide in the favor of Ben Askren just because of the simple fact that Ben is able to hold someone down on the ground and just gum up the action like that. And, 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 you know, as you said, you know, his wrestling is just different. You know what I'm saying? And you've seen Jorge get taken down before, but then you can't, you can't forget that this is a different Jorge as well, too. So it's just a matter of like, you know, it is, there's so many, there's so many questions because the, the Jorge that I've seen as of lately, that's not the Jorge that I'm judging that has been taken down and been, and been held down or been, you know, frustrated while trying to get up and looking at the referee trying to get a stand up. You know, this looks like a different Jorge. If this different Jorge is true, then I think that this is a, a lot better fight airing on his side. But if that one is showing up, the one who wants to be stood up because he's being taken down, then it's going to be a landslide victory for Ben Askren. Brandon Wise, true or false, you own a uh, two-piece and three-piece and soda t-shirt. <laughs> I do, yes. Will you be wearing that in Vegas this weekend? <laughs> I might be wearing it on one of the days that we're in Vegas, yes. All right, in support of your boy. Um, if you're going to take Team Masvidal here, and I haven't seen who you're going to pick, so I'm not putting words in your mouth, but how does he do this? How does he get past 
all the obstacles we just put in front of him. I think that the biggest, the best way for him to be successful is to take the Robbie Lawler game plan. You know, bring the fight to Ben. Don't get caught in trying to be in the clinch game and trying to get close to the legs because if you do, then Ben's going to just grab your leg and not let go. So I think the best way for Jorge to win is to pick his spots from the outside, land clean. He's going to have to land clean because if he's just in there catching him on the side of the head with the, with the side of the, with the protection up, then he's not going to get any points out of that. The way for Jorge to win, he's going to have to get in his guard. He's going to have to prepare for those takedowns. Because as you told us a couple of weeks ago, when you're fighting a wrestler, you got to train those knees. And if Jorge is in there training right now with those knees and those flying knees to catch Ben on the, in, on the, on the income, then I think Jorge can finish that fight that way. And I think that's the best way for him to get the win. And you are right, by the way, I did pick Jorge to win this fight. Here, wow. Here's- wow. Here, here's what I, here, I, I got a little, little follow up and I would say this. I would say that in order for Jorge to win this fight, he has to make Ben does do what he is absolute terrible at and that's just stand up. And, and that, and, and that's just what that is doing. That's giving him a long enough rope so he can hang himself. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? If he keeps on, keeps him standing up and stay on the outside, moving around, using his movement, peppering him with the jab, bloodying his face up, then you're going to see Ben Askren that that cool calm collective starts to fall apart because when your face is getting busted up and you have no answers to close the distance, then that's where the problem comes. I think if he tries to go and he fights with aggression, I think Ben Askren is so slick and so smooth. The minute those fight, those shots starts firing, he hits him one. He's slipping underneath, grabbing a hold of him, and Ben is so strong that he doesn't. He he can just barely just grab you a little bit, and then pretty soon he's going to be secure to your body. You know, and, and that, and that's one thing that he had. That's his advantage. So you don't want to touch him at all. You want to make, you want to use a lot of movement on the outside, pepper him with your jab, pepper him, pepper him, pepper him. And then you put him in a position to try to close the distance with his hands, which he's going to have to. And then he's going to get frustrated. Yeah. Ben's got that old man strength, that Danny Hodge strength, that let me put a watermelon in my arms and squeeze it on social media strength. That whole, like when you're a kid, your dad could reach his hand over a fence and pick you up by like the back of your shirt, that kind of strength. We're going to see it on display. Hey guys, I mentioned this card, UFC 239, full of sexy matchups. True. True. There's no no sexier male on this card. How's that for a transition? (laughs) Then the one and only Luke Rockhold and Brandon Wise, you are outnumbered in this preview because I'm a Luke Rockhold guy. We don't have favorites. We don't have favorite fighters, right? Yeah, right. And Rashad trains with the great Luke Rockhold, but he's moving up to 205, making that debut against Jan Blachowicz. So, my man, he looks good. He fills out a Ralph Lauren ad very well. His DMs are probably sloppy. But are those chin problems on the elite level going to follow him to 205? That's the question. Be wise. What do you got, bro? Man, I have just got to say, I know, Rashad, you train with him a lot. I just hope, for the love of God, you have told that man to keep your hands up. Because (laughs) if he does not keep his hands up when he's fighting against somebody like John Blachowicz, who, by the way, we talk a lot of smack about him, about he's a European guy. We don't really know much about his backstory. That dude can fight, and he's got some power. I know that we talked about it before with that Tiago Santos fight, but John Blachowicz was in there throwing bombs too, and he can hit hard. So Luke's going to have to try to keep the distance with this fight. I really hope his chin holds up because I don't want to see another 
sad story like we did with the Michael Bisbing fight. I just hope for his sake and for your team's sake that this guy, he's learned to keep his hands up and he fights smarter because that was part of it, right? He's like against David Branch, he fought really well. Mm-hmm. He had a really good fight that night. But then against Joel Romero, he gets hit a couple of times and it feels like the game plan just kind of goes out the window. So I really think he's going to have to show us something new here at 205 as opposed to what he was looking like at middleweight. Well, I think some of the reasons why he was a little chinny at 185 is is because when you cut an extreme amount of weight, it, it makes it hard for you to take any kind of shots because the water that you're uh, sweating out of your body, that's the water that you need in your brain for cushion. And it's impossible to replenish that on, on a uh, liquid level uh, in one day. So when, when fighters are cutting a lot of weight, it makes them easier to get knocked out. So I don't know if that, I mean, I, I think that will aid in the fact that he's going to be able to withstand a better shot. But I also would point to the fact that, you know, this camp, Luke Rockhold, has been uh, different than I've ever seen. And by that, I mean, you know, he's been a lot stronger. He's been more dedicated to his weight program. And and I think that's been a biggest difference in his camp. You know, he feels a lot, a lot stronger. So um, those are the things that I'm looking at when I look at how is he going to be at 205? How is his body going to adjust to it? And I think that he's going to perform really well because right now, He's already strong and he's close to 205. He's close to two of the weight. So when you don't have to cut weight and you can just pretty much just wake up and just eat and perform and be at your best and be strong already, then that's a lot better than a guy who has to dip down and do what he had to do at 185. Yeah, that's a very fair breakdown. I, I like the way you, you so scientifically uh, explained why how much that can make a guy feel chinny. I mean, yeah, he made Michael Bisping look like a slugger in that one fight and sort of changed the course of where we thought we were headed in the middleweight title picture. For Luke's sake, I'm hoping not just the fact that I love this guy. I got that poster above him and Rocco, him and Weidman, UFC 199. The uh, rematch never happened. One day it will, though. But look, he has the size for 205, and he's got the damn skill. 34 years old, really still within that window of his absolute prime. It just always felt like there was some tiny thing missing at the elite level. If that thing was cutting weight too hard, and by the way, I've been backstage a couple times at their weigh-ins, he cuts weight really hard. You can see what the physicality does to him, and and walking around just does not look like the same guy. This could be very interesting. If John Jones lingers, it's a sexy fight to make John Jones and Luke Rockhold if Rockhold can put some wins together. But if we're talking about John Jones maybe moving up to heavyweight, and trying to start a new era at 205, and you certainly have the young, unproven names and the guys like Johnny Walker Weirdo, the guys like Dominic Reyes. You add a veteran like Luke Rockhold into that mix, you can make some fun matchups. So the the world, you know, it's still Luke Rockhold's world, and we're just living in it. He's got to go out there, though, against a tough-ass guy and prove that. Skill for skill-wise, I think this is a matchup he can win. Yeah, absolutely. You know, my, my thing with Luke is this right here, you know, Luke has all the talent in the world and, and he's, 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 uh, so talented in so many areas. But the thing about it is when you're, you know, you're good looking, you're talented in so many areas, your, your attention is, is spread out in many different ways. And, uh, you know, Luke is, is a model. So <laughs> his modeling career takes precedent and it takes, um, a lot yeah, of How do you train there. hard when, when people are texting you nudes? <laughs> how do you keep training that hard? I don't know. Well, maybe I'm, you actually train harder, that, maybe. I don't I'm, know. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's the thing, you know, and then plus, and plus, you know, when when you get to the point where you're on a later half of your career, then you start to start to think of, okay, I'm closer to the end than the beginning. So then your priorities start to shift more towards 
things that are outside of the cage, things that are going to be there to build you up, things you're going to be able to lean on when you get done with fighting. So that that's the, that's the kind of thing that you have to have somebody there to say, okay, um, I see you focusing on this, but I see you focusing and I see you're getting away from your main focus right now because there's a time for that, but then there's a big time for focusing on and being present in what you're doing right now. And uh, if you're not able to uh, have somebody there or or do it yourself, then it's going to be a problem. Brandon Wise, does this guy move on? Does he survive in advance? Does he get one step closer toward a possible title shot? And look, with a name like that, it's not going to take him long should he get a victory here. If what Rashad is saying is true and he has that power now that he's going to be physically stronger again and he's going to look like the Luke Rockhold we saw in like 2014 and 2013 when he was dominating, I think he can. But I am going to sit in the fo- in the park of I want to see it before I pick it. I'm going to pick John Blachowicz just because I want to see Luke Rockhold win the fight, look dominant. I want to see him look dominant. I want the I want the Chris Weidman fight at 205 to happen. I want this happen, but I want to see what Luke looks like first. And I know what John Blachowicz looks like at 205, and I think he can get the job done at, wow. with a decision. Well, you can get a good look at a uh, T-bone by sticking your head up a bull's ass, but I'd rather take the butcher's word for it. <laughs> I, I nailed that. Chris go, Farley on me. Uh, yeah, right, I know. You know, go ahead and make your yeah. pick. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, look, it's Luke Rockhold. No, no. I actually I, – I, I fear for Luke Rockhold here. Rashad's talking me back in, right, because I'm Luke Rockhold's super fan here. But <laughs> John is a tough out, man. This is a close fight on paper. Kind of like John Blachowicz here, even though I'm, I'm Johnny Superfan. It's just going to be interesting. I think this is more of the more intriguing matchups on the entire card. I want to see what happens next. I can't ask Rashad for his prediction. <laughs> well, I, here, here, here's what I'll say. I'll be fair. I'll be fair. Now, here's what I'll say. I'll say this. When when you look at skill for skill, yes, Jan has beautiful uh, skills on his feet with his takedowns. And, and the way he sets up his punches, you know, he, he really does a good job of with a step back. And he always had the uppercut firing. He's very good at that. I love the way he does that. But when you look at his overall game, it seems to be like even though he does have some grappling skills, it doesn't seem like he usually forces it like I would like to see him. He has has fight when he does that, but he doesn't really he's not a real strong. Uh, he doesn't really strong put his game towards that. Now, I, I, I give Luke the edge on the grappling aspect because I know when Luke grapples, I'm telling you, this dude is one of the hardest that I've ever been with. You know, he, he is, his jujitsu is amazing. His wrestling is, is, is okay, but the scrambling in between is dynamic. And I, and I like that advantage over, over Jan. And I also like the, the stand up advantage over Jan, but I do, I do think that Jan can catch him with that sneaky uppercut that he does because he catches everybody with it. And if Jan catches him with that sneaky uppercut that he does, I think they can put Luke in some trouble. But yeah, overall, I'm going with I'm going with Luke. All right, the, the the first card on this pay per view main card is one for the fans on the same weekend, of course, that Rashad Evans will go into the Hall of Fame alongside Rich Franklin and Michael Bisping. The UFC did induct one of those all time great fights, and it was Diego Sanchez versus Clay Guida. We all know that brawl. We all love it. Only Diego Sanchez is still making fun brawls, and he's going to get an opportunity once again in the opening fight on the pay-per-view card against Michael Chiesa. Guys, I feel like we have counted out Diego Sanchez so many damn times and basically been like, come on, retire for your own good. Yet he keeps getting better at age 37. Now he's got jujitsu. What the hell's going on here? You saw him take out uh, Mickey Gall like 
surprisingly well, violently. I know Gall ended up blaming that on a hard weight cut. There's not a ton at stake in this fight. It may just be one of those for the fans. But how much does Diego Sanchez have left? I think he has a lot left. And here's, I won't say a lot left. I think he has enough left. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I say that, and I say that because of this. He's, he's, a, he's adjusted his fight game to his abilities now. I think that, you know, before he would try to stand up a little bit too long. And that's when you see him outmatched. That's when you see him out, out, you know, just looking old. And if you remember when he was at his prime, he never had the, the most beautiful stand up anyways. So, I think now he's starting to tailor his game to what I think it should have always been a Damian Maya type of grappling type of game where it's low impact and it's, I'm going to put you in positions where it makes you have to pass that, that, that jujitsu quiz every single second, you know, and eventually you're going to fail that quiz because I'm going to catch you with one submission. That's the same approach Damian Maya has. That's why he's fighting at 42 years old. You know, Diego Sanchez can do the same thing if he continues to implement that game plan. One punch, clinch, takedown, work that grappling game. But it's also yeah. a, a soft-ish matchup, right? Like, we just saw the graphic on the screen that Michael Chiesa is not a knockout guy. He doesn't even have a knockout on his resume. But Chiesa is tough. He is tough. He is tough. But this isn't a dangerous fight where we need to worry about Chiesa and, or where we need to worry about Sanchez and his mental health. You know, like, he's not going to get caught with a huge punch where we, he might end up in the hospital for a month. So... I think this is, like we were saying before, this is a great fight in terms of we're going to see a lot of mixed martial arts skill involved because Michael Kies is going to try to take you down. He's going to try and get a leg. He's going to try and get to his submission hold, and he's going to get his darts. He's going to get his tri uh, uh, triangle choke. He's going to get any kind of way he can get you out of there. So I think Diego, he's going to need to keep this on his feet if he's going to want to win this fight. He's going to need to keep Kiesa from getting on his back or getting into full guard or top mount because... That's where things are going to get dangerous for Diego. I think that Diego's cardio is going to be key here because he showed in that Mike, Mickey Gall fight, all of a sudden, 36-year-old Diego Sanchez has a gas tank again, man. Like, that was so much fun to watch. So I think that Diego Sanchez can win this fight if he's able to keep this on his feet and keep uh, Michael Chiesa off of his legs. I yeah, think they... Go on. I would say Chiesa coming off a big win there over Condit, but... Is it really big? I think if Kies has shown us anything since moving up to welterweight is that he's still average. He still doesn't have an elite-level win. He still loses to the very best. He could really use this win to try to make one more run and put it together. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Kies is one of those guys who just kind of, you know, been hanging around there. And he's gotten better, but he hasn't shown the the consistent uh, – he hasn't shown that consistently in the cage. You know, there, there's times where you see him like, wow, this guy's got another level he's going to hit, and then you see him another performance. He's kind of like – Ooh, he made it. He, he plateaued a bit, you know. So to me, that's a mental thing. That's a mental thing. When I, when I see it, when I see inconsistencies like that in an uh, athlete, I know that's mental. And I know that's just a matter of them getting into their stride, getting into their groove. Now, with that said, I believe that, you know, this is a matchup. This is one of those matchups that you get up for. This is one of those ones you say, you know what? I'm going to put everything together because I beat this guy. This, this, this means something to me, you know? So, I think off a win off of here, you know, you know, Kias can start to propel himself and start to be that that sneaky good guy that you have to face because that's one thing I can always describe about Michael Kies's game is that he's not gonna wow you in any area, like be like, Oh my gosh, but he is sneaky good. He's sneaky yeah. good with his grappling, he's sneaky good with his stand up, and he has he has a heart, you know, he has a lot of heart and you know, he's not afraid to get down and dirty. 
Just don't talk about his mother, as Kevin Lee found out. All right. Uh, as we look real quick, guys, at the preliminary main card and that uh, early card, there's one prediction, Brandon Wise, that I'm going to need from you. It's probably going to be your most difficult of the day here. People want to know, Marlon Vera versus TBD, who you got? <laughs> Oh man, I really hope they get Marlon a fight because that Sean O'Malley getting popped for Austrian. By the way, are we moving this fight to LA like we did for John Jones last year or no? Uh, no. Okay. No. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I hope Sean O'Malley gets back to the to to fighting soon. But yeah, I mean, Marlon Vera needs a fight, and I hope that they put Rob Font in that spot. We'll see. Gilbert Melendez at 37 will be in that preliminary main event against Arnold Allen. I'm looking forward to that. Hey, anytime. We're going to get some women's strawweight battles on this card. You know, I get fired up because pound for pound, that's the most exciting division in the sport. Claudia Gadelha against Randa Marcos. I'm here for that. I'm here. Anything else on this card that's tickling you guys in the field spot, if you will? I think you hit them will all, you? man. Yeah, I think you will hit you? it. You hit them, hit them, hit them, hit them. Well, all. you know what you should do, listeners and viewers? If you like what we do, you should hit us up all week. Brandon, Sugar Rashad, and your boy BC will be in Vegas all week. Hitting you with big time content. We plan a nice podcast. Nice, nice. What am I sound like my grandmother here? We're gonna hit you hard with a podcast from Media Day. Interviews with all the big stars. Our final look at the card. Check out CBS Sports HQ this week to see my mug, to see Rashad's. Tune in. UFC Fight Pass, the Hall of Fame ceremony as Rashad enters the land of the immortals, if you will. And please check us out every Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CBSSports.com, wherever you can find fine audio, you can find the State of Combat podcast. One episode a week for boxing, one for MMA, and one for pro wrestling. Final thoughts, guys. UFC 239, Saturday in Vegas. What do you got? Man, I'm just excited. You know, it's going to be a big weekend for me, emotional one for me. I just hope I don't cry too much at the, the Hall of Fame ceremony or just have like that Michael Jordan picture, that one tear coming out. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to have that circulating, but, uh, I'm just excited, man. And, uh, I just want to thank all the fans and in the UFC for, uh, you know, with this honor, you know, it, it mean, it meant the world to me to be able to go out there and perform for you guys and have this as a, uh, final, you know, goodbye is, is, uh, is amazing. Love it. Love it. Be wise. Your first trip to Las Vegas can't beat this, right? Can't beat it, man. I'm going to probably right. lose a lot of money. <laughs> And gain a lot of weight. That's what happens in Vegas, and it will stay there. Follow us on Twitter, at State of Combat, for your performance-enhancing audio each week. For the great Rashad Evans, for Brandon Wise, I'm your boy, BC. There's only two things left to say, right? We out. We out.